Hey everybody, this is Jeremy. We are doing something a little bit different on the podcast today. I'm going to play a section of a conversation that I had with Jackson Washburn, a young Latter-day Saint apologist. We have had some dialogue here recently where I asked him some questions and he asked me some questions, and we are just going to release each uh, question as its own episode here on the podcast, so that way you can consume it a little bit at a time. The first three episodes we release with uh, these conversations will be Jackson asking me three questions, and the next three episodes will be me asking him three questions about his beliefs. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you have any questions or comments, please be sure to reach out to us. If you are a subscriber, uh, please make sure that you give us a like on whatever uh, platform you're using to subscribe to us, leave a rating, uh, leave a comment, do all that stuff that helps us. Uh, that would be great. We appreciate it very, very much. We hope you have a good and godly day. All right. Well, uh, I am Jeremy Howard. I'm the pastor here at Payson Bible Church, and I am joined by Jackson Washburn to have some dialogue. This will be something that's like halfway between a cross-examination and a debate and a lunch with a friend. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's kind of what we're going for. It just sounds like a good conversation to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good conversation. That's it. Uh, with, with structure, a little more structure. Right. Right. So uh, Jackson, you want to give an introduction of yourself? Uh, however you want to explain your bio? Yeah, sure. Um, like Jeremy said, uh, my name is Jackson Washburn. Um, I reside in Arizona right now. I'm, I'm in Idaho. Um, for quarantine, but um, I'm a student at Arizona State University. Um, I'm majoring in religious studies and history. Uh, I'm also a Latter-day Saint, a lifelong member. Um, when I was 12 years old, I had a mother who converted out of Mormonism into evangelical Christianity. And so through my teenage years, I was able to spend time uh, with both faith traditions and uh, engaging both faith communities. And um, it was, you know, during that time, uh, after several years of attending both churches that I, I started feeling more uh, personally comfortable um, identifying as a Latter-day Saint. Um, but uh, since then, I've taken a, a big interest in religious studies and talking to people of different religious faiths and having dialogues such as these um, and still considering the claims of uh, uh, traditional Christianity um, engaging apologetic literature and, um, you know, just trying to sustain friendship, um, across the aisle. So, um, yeah. And yeah. could you list off your classes for this semester? Cause I, I see oh. the stuff you post on social media and it's like, man, those, those classes sound like fun. Oh, um, well this semester, um, I'm taking historical perspectives in philosophy and religion. Um, I'm taking a seminar class on ritual. Uh, that's three hours on Mondays. It, I like talking about religion, but that class is a lot. Uh, I got to be honest. Hmm. Um, I'm taking uh, right now. I'm, I just started a, an online class on uh, evolution and uh, evolutionary theory, um, which is interesting. Um, let me uh, Jewish history from antiquity. Um, let's see. I feel it. Like I'm a TA for. Uh, I think I'm doing like 19 right now. Wow. Um, I also just started a uh, position as a grader uh, for a Hebrew Bible class. Um, last semester, I was a bit more heavy on, I, I took a New Testament class and a Hebrew Bible class. And uh, um, this upcoming semester, I should be taking like formation of the Christian tradition, 
So, you know, I do have an interest in not just like religion or religious history, but, you know, Christianity, Judaism, and things that are directly um, relevant and, uh, um, you know, kind of key to understanding the Bible and biblical history as well. Um, I, I personally want to specialize in our Armenian religious history, um, as in the country, not Armenianism. <laughs> uh, um, that was a joke. I, I served my mission in Armenia, and uh, um, I, I think, you know, there'd only be like two individuals that would understand my joke when I'd say, you know, we're teaching Armenian Armenians. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so I want to specialize in uh, Armenian religious history uh, while still, you know, uh, can, you know, in kind of that that would require me to do kind of studies in Christianity and the New Testament, early Christianity. Um, I also want to do Mormon studies on the side. So um, yeah, that's that's a quick introduction to me and and uh, my different interests. I'm set to graduate in spring of next year, um, so I'm uh, going to be applying for uh, grad school pretty soon. Okay, cool. Um, has the quarantine made life easier or harder as a student? Ooh, um, I, I'd say easier, actually. Um, mm-hmm. my, my social life has remained the same, sadly, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, predominant, you know, dominated by online discussions. But uh, I, um, I don't know, now I don't have to show up for physical class. And it, you know, it feels like I have a lot more free time. So I'm just trying to stay productive. That's why I took on that position as a grader as well to try to make gotcha. a bit of money. Um, and it's been nice uh, since quarantine. Uh, the, the ways that I have, you know, uh, made made money on the side as a student are all online. And so I haven't had any issues, um, you know, with losing sources of income because of that. Mm-hmm. Good. Cool. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm, uh, like I said, Jeremy Howard and the pastor here at Payson Bible Church. I have lived in Utah since May of 14, so almost six years. My wife and I are from the great state of Missouri, and we've got three children that keep us busy, and uh, it's a pleasure to be in full-time ministry, though these are challenging days, uh, but but uh, thankful for technology to be able to do stuff like this. So, um, And like I mentioned at the beginning, too, we uh, are wanting to have some spiritual conversation about things from an LDS perspective and from an evangelical perspective. And what we've done is uh, for this episode or whatever you want to call it, uh, Jackson has sent me three questions that have to deal with the nature of God across the Testaments, the Old and New Testament. And uh, for the next one, I'm going to ask Jackson three questions and we're going to walk through those. And hopefully there's enough interest and conversation from the first two videos that there will be some questions and things in the comments on Facebook and YouTube that we can take and answer for a third uh, edition of this. And uh, we've talked about this for a while. We were planning on doing it later in the year, but alas, we are all inside and we might as well do it now. So for sure, uh, here, here we are. Um, so the goal is to go for an hour, a little less and walk through these questions. Again, Jackson did send these to me ahead of time. So don't think I'm thinking of all this stuff off the top of my head. I couldn't do that. So I do have some uh, written down stuff. If you see me looking at a weird place, that's what I'm doing. And uh, we'll just kind of walk through these questions. He'll, he'll ask his question. I will give my response and then we'll just dialogue about it before moving on to the next question. So you ready? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, is it okay if I preface uh, my questions a bit as well? Yeah, 
Yeah. All right. No, so, no rules. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, with these questions in mind, um, you know, I, I, some of them lean more towards, um, I, I, I guess, having a bit more of an academic edge to them, let's say, uh, where it's not uh, um, uh, strictly uh, theological. Uh, although, you know, um, I, I think I think they do go both ways. Um, but uh, my, my first question is, uh, you know, Jeremy, what do you make of recent biblical scholarship as an evangelical um, that's, you know, produced by various Jewish, Christian, secular, or, you know, scholars of different worldviews uh, who have argued that ethical monotheism, um, which I guess we can define as uh, there, you know, existing only one ontologically unique being uh, that we refer to as God, um, that uh, ethical monotheism did not actually enter the biblical tradition uh, until the text of like, let's say Isaiah, uh, technically Deutero Isaiah, but you know, around the time of the exile, right. Uh, that essentially that there is this, development in Israelite religion where, you know, it eventually developed into a rudimentary form of monotheism. But before that uh, might have been, uh, you know, henotheistic elements of polytheism or um, the technical term to this uh, would, you know, be affirming the religion of ancient Israel as many times being uh, monolatrous, monolatry as being espoused by, you know, both the ancient Israelites themselves and reflected in different biblical texts. So um, we can, we can define monolatry um, as, you know, the, the belief that there is one kind of supreme God, uh, but that there's other divine beings uh, also referred to as gods. Um, Sometimes they're known by other names, but essentially um, that there's this hierarchy where there is one, you know, supreme God, uh, who has authority over these lesser deities, these lesser gods, um, but that it's not as strict monotheism. Uh, other the the existence of other divine beings is also uh, affirmed, and uh, the supreme god has jurisdiction over them. So, is that something that you would uh, you know deny in the biblical text as being real? Do you affirm it yourself? Do you? Um, recognize it in the Bible, but not personally espouse it yourself. Um, I, I'd be interested in, you know, kind of what you have to say about monolatry and uh, the religion of ancient Israel. Yeah, so by way of clarification on monolatry, um, how would you distinguish that from henotheism? Yeah, uh, and a lot of these terms are fluid, right, um, mm-hmm. uh, to an extent. So, um, you know, he- henotheism, from what I've seen, uh is generally defined as, you know, not denying the existence of other gods, uh, but um, isolating one's worship to only one of those gods. And monolatry refers to something a bit more specific, where there is one god um, that reigns supreme over the other gods, uh, but those other gods also still exist. Um, so it's it's kind of just a more technical way of stating exactly what kind of like henotheism uh, we have in mind. And would you say, sorry, another clarification question. Yeah, would, totally would you fine. say in that, that view of monolatry that you just described, those, those other gods, were they created by the one supreme god? Yes. Um, in, in most cases, uh, I, I, w- I would say so. Um, with, with henotheism as like a general uh, term, uh, those other gods don't always need to be 
uh, created by another god. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, it, in monolatry, I would say that you know that that singular god is responsible, um, at least in the religion of ancient Israel, um, that that god is responsible for the creation of of other entities as well. Okay, gotcha. So, um, yeah, by way of disclaimer, I don't spend a lot of time reading and analyzing scholarship that is um, that views the Old Testament that way. You know, by way of my yeah. profession and what my ministry is, and just in life that I've got three kids, and you know, uh, very being very busy. I'm not a full time um, student anymore, and so. I don't stay up to date on a lot of that scholarship yeah. just as a disclaimer. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, the way I view it is that monotheism is part and parcel to the theology of Moses that he developed through personal interaction with God and from divine revelation that God gave him as he wrote scripture. So that monotheism is just like fundamental. It's, it's bedrock in Moses's theology as developed through the Pentateuch. And then that mm-hmm. is fundamental to the rest of, uh, Old Testament theology that's developed from there. Mm-hmm. And, and if we look at the life of Moses and the revelation he received concerning creation and, and other things, we see a singular God from the beginning. In, in Genesis, we look at the verbs that are being used there in Hebrew, and they're singular verbs in reference to mm-hmm. this God who also spoke of himself. God spoke of himself as being singular though he did speak of himself as being uh, plural at times too. Um, we see Moses describing uh, God, experiencing God as being formless. You look at the burning bush, the angel of the Lord speaking out of the burning bush, uh, the Mount Sinai event where the Ten Commandments are given and all of Israel is there and they can hear, but they see no form. They were with God face to face, it says in scripture, but they saw no form. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a formless aspect there, though I'm sure we'll get into uh, the formed aspects there too. Yeah. Uh, he, there, this singular formless God is glorious. Uh, Moses spends time with him, comes down off the mountain, his face is glowing. And so there's mm-hmm. a glory uh, aspect there. And what's you know, important as we summarize all this and, and see all this revelation and experience that Moses has uh, from God, we end up understanding that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is fundamentally different than every other God. So uh, you get this repeated over and over again, starting in the first five books of the Bible and all the way through uh, the prophets and poetry and all of that, that the God of Israel could see, he could hear, he could interact. Uh, The God of Israel can create. He has the power to create things. The God of Israel covenants with people. All of these things that no other gods do. And these other gods, small g gods, are sometimes Mm -hmm. referred to as just, you know, something like this microphone, just like Mm an inanimate object that can't do anything. And at other times, you see those gods referred to as demons. Like there's a spiritual aspect there though they are not eternal in and of themselves, though they do not have the same power and authority as God, they are spiritual in nature and they influence humans. And so in that way, uh, they are, they are gods in that they are spiritual influencers that people worship wrongly. And so they Mm -hmm. can be called, you know, small G gods. And as we, as we see a lot of this, not all of it, but a lot of it in the Torah, it just gets developed 
um, from there, it's foundational to the theology of the subsequent generations within Israel. Um, Abraham, for instance, you know, this he lived, of course, before Moses, but the example that we see in Abraham's life was that he was called out of a polytheistic religion. Mm-hmm. He was called out of a polytheistic context, and he was, you know, united to the God of Israel, the one true God. And as the one true God spoke to him, uh, he made covenant with him and he stayed with him and his progeny. So you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and on and on it goes. Um, and, and that's the foundation for all of Old Testament theology. And those who posit you know, the theory of polytheism in that Old Testament theology, uh, they don't typically start with <laughs> the idea that the biblical text is authoritative and sufficient. Usually mm-hmm. when people come to that conclusion, it's because they started in a totally different place than someone like mm-hmm. me would start. And so yeah. as someone who, who seeks to believe that, um, you know, the, the Bible is, I don't, I, looks like I missed type there. I shouldn't be reading my notes word for word. I should <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. see the principle and then state it. Um, as someone who believes that the Bible is the only authoritative text, the only God-breathed text, I, I hold to monotheism and would reject mm-hmm. uh, polytheism, henotheism, and monolatry. Uh, the monolatry you were describing sounds very similar to Michael Heiser's uh, yeah. worldview, um, largely based on Psalm 82, though there are some uh, two or three Torah references that uh, he turns to also. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would disagree with Michael Heiser's view of Psalm 82, and I would disagree with, uh, you know, definitely his theological conclusions. I think his monolatry is dangerous in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, and I would definitely outright reject that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, I, I think from that, um, I appreciate that you uh, stated, you know, kind of what theological commitments or, you know, uh, presuppositions are informing how you approach this subject, right? Yep. Um, I, I think, um, and, and you articulated it yourself, but I, I think another way of putting it, um, there seems to be this key question here of, you know, do we treat the Bible at like any other book or any other historical text, or does it have, you know, other claims of authority that, you know, puts it on a higher pedestal than those texts, uh, where, you know, we have to start with different assumptions, right? Um, so um, you, you referenced uh, some uh, Michael Heiser. He, he is, uh, you know, one of the leading proponents uh, of this, I, I, or, or one of the most vocal, I think, Christians uh, who, you know, espouse this view. Um, but uh, for him and, and other Christians that, you know, recognize and, and argue for monolatry in the Hebrew Bible, um, it doesn't seem to, uh, at least from their own perspective, um, invalidate or prevent them from identifying as believing Christians, uh, with commitments to the new Testament as well. Um, so, um, you said yourself, uh, that you believe that monolatry or, you know, recognizing it or, or arguing for it, um, there's some danger to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. w- would you mind kind of articulating some of the, some of the dangers that you see um, or, you know, like what are uh, beyond, beyond uh, not believing 
that the Bible is sufficient or that it is, you know, fully authoritative in the same way that you would view it. Uh, what are some other ways in which it um, might complicate or, you know, prove to be problematic to some of the truth claims that you consider to be integral, right? Sure. Um, so to me, the primary danger, I, I believe there are multiple dangers, but the one that's primary is that the, a category has been made by mm-hmm. Michael Heiser and others who hold that position that isn't uh, founded in scripture. And so mm-hmm. um, the, the primary danger is the re- a rejection of um, of sola scriptura, because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be <laughs> derived. I know he, he references Psalm 82 and in, in a couple other passages a lot, but it doesn't seem to be driven by a sola scriptura wor- worldview. It comes from a more theological or philosophical worldview and scripture, you know, happens to, to aid it in a couple of spots. And so um, that category being invented and inserted that there's God and there are angels. And then like in between you have this, uh, these gods that exist who are higher than angels or have different roles and authorities than their authority than angels, but they aren't God. And that God needs their counsel as he Mm -hmm. maybe wouldn't say needs, but God um, relies on chooses to rely on however he wants to say that their counsel to, to operate. Um, that's a, it's a man-made doctrine. It's not a, a biblically founded doctrine. And that's why um, primarily I say that it's dangerous, but some other more perhaps fringe purposes would be uh, the idea that God does not rule the uh, universe by his own counsel alone goes mm-hmm. against uh, various passages and uh also has some really dangerous implications, <laughs> um, depending on how far it's taken. I mean, I- any doctrine or theology taken to a, its human logical conclusion can be dangerous. And so um, that can kind of lead in that direction. Um, also, the idea that someone like Michael Heiser makes an entire ministry out of this one doctrine, that it's like a, mm-hmm. it's a worldview paradigm, really, more than mm-hmm. it is just a doctrine. Uh, is dangerous. And that shows too, from his own doing, it shows that there are some major differences here, even though he calls himself a Christian and I call myself a Christian, mm-hmm. it's like a different worldview. And, uh, mm-hmm. and anytime someone makes that big of a deal out of a singular doctrine, it shows that uh, either mm-hmm. the doctrine is a really big deal or that person's view of doctrine is imbalanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so those, those are sef- definitely some, some theological implications um, that, uh, uh, you know, espousing a view of monolatry has, at least for, for Christians, let's say. Um, but, you know, shifting to considering this through more of an academic lens, um, it, it seems like this, this theory or, or this, this way of understanding uh, the Bible um, can be held uh, by and is held and argued by, you know, uh, non-believing individuals, uh, uh, Jews, uh, you know, various Jews, various, you know, self-identifying Christians. Um, and, and so uh, to me, at least, um, it, it seems like there seems, uh, this is an issue where if we aren't addressing it theologically, then from a historical standpoint, um, there seems to be uh, a consensus which can transcend personal theological worldviews. Um, you, I, think, I think you made a, um, an important point uh, by recognizing that um, 
this is something which uh, presupposes uh, that the Bible is not self-sufficient um, and that, you know, various parts of it uh, need to be uh, perhaps primarily interpreted through the lens of history or through the lens of uh, the existing cultures in the ancient Near East. Um, and uh, that the text itself, uh, that there are varying inconsistent theological worldviews represented in the text, right? Um, so I think with that, uh, what do you believe is the appropriate um, way for a believer or uh, let's just say an individual uh, to use history to inform their understanding of scripture, um, but not in a way that, uh, um, uh, you know, I guess jeopardizes its theological authority or gotcha. internal consistency, right? So like, yeah. um, right, be, uh, so for me, like, I, I, I agree that while there are passages in the Bible that individuals such as Michael Heiser or other scholars um, turn to to sh show this is where we can see the divine counsel or monolatry or, you know, uh, different takes on uh, Israelite theology, um, a lot of it is very much informed through the lens of the ancient Near East by turning to other cultures that are not Israelite or turning to uh, Israelite um, like historical texts or, or evidence uh, that, you know, from um, a traditional Christian, an evangelical, let's say, um, you might be able to say, you know, that that was apostate or, you know, there's many instances uh -huh. in the in the Hebrew Bible where different forms of idolatry or, you know, heresy are condemned. Right. And so, you know, if there are legitimate archaeological instances of Israelites uh, affirming the existence of other gods, well, you know, the, the text of, of scripture condemns that. Right. So how, um, in this case, how would you consider history to, you know, how might you appropriately use it to both inform your view of scripture, uh, but not in such a way that jeopardizes it. Right. So, uh, you know, from a CNN's perspective, uh, mm -hmm. starting in a place that you probably didn't think I would start, uh, from Wolf Blitzer's perspective, evangelicals are, uh, you know, just this big group, right? Yeah. Yet, uh, as you know, and I know, within that group, there's a huge spectrum and diversity um, that we're not just like a voting block, but there's right. like a, a bunch of difference. And, and when you start looking at the difference between, say, a through and through reformed evangelical yeah. and someone who is more of a congregationalist, like, uh, uh, I don't know, non-denominational type mm -hmm. of, yeah. of Christian, they would have very different views on the confessions and creeds from yeah. history. Now, that being said, Protestantism... Um, Protestantism is largely affected all the way across the board because of the early ecumenical councils and because of the works of um, the reformers. All right. Mm -hmm. um, and no one can get away from that. So no matter how congregationalist, non-denominational you are, you can't say, well, it's just the Bible. I'm not affected by anything else. They yeah. are absolutely affected by the council of Nicaea. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and no matter how much they would try to deny that perhaps. So that being said, finding that balance is really tough, and there's a range within evangelicalism of, of what people believe and think. And we're all kind of evolving on this until we die. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've 
I think I've evolved a little bit on this. I do not believe the London Baptist Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Nicene, uh, Nicene Creed, or um, the Council of Chalcedon, or any of those are on the same level of Scripture at all. Yeah, yeah. But I do believe that God uses his people to teach his people. He, he sets apart teachers who are able to summarize things and help us and, in a sense, give us some guardrails under the authority of Scripture. So um, when applying that view, that's a really general view, but when applying that to this topic, um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that Michael Heiser is anathema, <laughs> or mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say necessarily that he's heretical, but I think he is really, really flirting with some doctrines that fall outside of the camp of historical Christianity and that by nature there is danger in that just because God does use his people to teach his people and set up uh, some Mm -hmm. guardrails. So really general answer, but you want to maybe tack on another question now that I've said that? Yeah. Well, well, like, do you think that uh, the, the issue in approach here is that uh, one needs to uh, essentially adopt a non-Christian methodology or, you know, kind of a secular approach to scripture in order to uh, reach this conclusion and, and, you know, even reconcile it within a, uh, an identified self-identified Christian framework. Yeah. I don't um, know like, if is, I is, say is it that. the methodology that's the, that's the issue here? Um, a, a little bit. I mean, so the thing is, I mean, obviously Psalm 82 talks about something that's interesting there and that's a mm-hmm. tough passage no matter who no matter yeah. what perspective you take you got to wrestle yeah. with it and even yeah, from michael heiser's view there's stuff in there that doesn't exactly line up with his interpretation and same with me you kind of got to wrestle with that and figure out what the answer is I, mm-hmm. to me the biggest problem and this is a methodological issue or a process issue the biggest problem is taking something that is kind of vague like that and not all over mm-hmm. scripture i mean by any mm-hmm. means and really elevating it to something that is worldview defining like it is for yeah. him. That's the mm-hmm. real, real issue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and to me, that does come from a place that falls outside of, outside of scripture. You don't see any, anybody in the new Testament teaching this. They knew their old Testament. All the new Testament writers knew their old Testament and they weren't teaching this, that Michael Heiser's mm-hmm. teaching. So mm-hmm. um, that's an important thing. Right. And, and I think the kind of the general argument with uh, the proponents of Israelite monolatry is that it was something that was, you know, uh, present in earlier biblical texts, but was eventually uh, replaced or uh, suppressed by later, uh, more dominant uh, texts, which uh, adopted a more exclusive uh, monotheism. And so by the time of the New Testament, uh, I think arguably... Uh, they might say, yes, you know, we, we would expect it to not be as present here mm-hmm. uh, because we're arguing that this is uh, the, the case only in, uh, you know, predominantly earlier uh, Israelite texts. And that um, and that's goes right to those pre-commitments of yeah. if you're taking that view, you're starting from the position of God was either unable or unwilling to preserve his revelation. And mm-hmm. when you start there, you're just going to end up in a different place every time than where someone like me would end up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I think that's all the questions that I have specifically for monolatry uh, for now. Uh, we, might, we might circle back uh, 